0: because there is no application process. It's a, it's a lottery school. And so the fact that, you know, all the stars aligned for them to, you know, be drawn out of a hat to attend just makes it remarkable to me. Welcome to
1: Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. So welcome to today's episode, as always, super excited because we get to have conversations about innovations that we see happening all around the world in teaching, learning, and the future of work. And today we're actually going to um, be visiting um, with folks who've been involved in a number of different ways. And We've got um, a a variety of participants here on the call today, different sorts of roles um, at one of Ohio's um, leading um, STEM schools the National Inventors Hall of Fame School. And joining us today is uh, Sam Cruz, uh, who was a founding teacher when this whole crazy STEM endeavor was uh, started a few years back. We'll have him um, share with that. Um, but, But Sam is a teacher of over 20 years worth of experience tied to Akron Public Schools and, again, a founding faculty member of the National Inventors Hall of Fame School. So, Sam, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: And joining Sam are two students, I should say former students, um, who actually joined Sam, I think, back when they were sixth graders. And now um, these young women are finishing school or have just finished their undergraduate degrees, going on to amazing things. It's always fun to be able to talk with um, grads uh, to come back and share their stories with us. And so joining Sam is Marlin and Cameron Woodley. So ladies, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you, thank
1: you. Okay, so ladies, I'm going to start with you because, um, as Sam pointed out earlier, it's so much fun to sort of hear about the the journey. So, Cameron, share with us just a little bit, sort of about where you are now. Um, as we mentioned, you you turned up in sort of Sam's ecosystem back in middle school, but but let's fast forward. What's what's going on with you right now?
2: Okay, so I just recently graduated from Muskingum University which is down in between Zanesville and Cambridge Ohio and small little village of New Concord um, <laughs> this past May um, I went there and I graduated with a bachelor of science in general engineering with a focus in the mechanical electrical area and a mathematics minor and right now I'm proud to say that I am I just accepted a position and I've currently been working for the past month or so as a project engineer so Went wow. straight into the STEM fields from STEM middle school and high school.
1: Wow. And, you know, for, for our folks who are just listening, you should see the smile on Sam's face, right? That's just absolute joy. Well, congratulations, Cameron. That's super thank exciting. You, thank you. Absolutely. So, so Marlon, same question to you. Um, what's going on with you
3: these days? I majored in health sciences and minored in human development and family science. And right now, I'm not working yet. I'm going to take a gap year and then go back to grad school.
1: And what do you going to grad school for? Nursing. Yeah. So awesome. Congratulations to you as well, Mar. That's just amazing. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, Sam, I mean, you're proud.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm holding back tears right now. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of... Always when you work with kids, especially at the middle school, where it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of everything, emotions and growth and all those things. And you, and you have this best vision in mind for your kids. And when you actually see it come true, it's kind of, kind of a big deal.
1: <laughs> it, it is a big deal. And I think that, you know, for our listeners who come to this program from all over the world, right? And so we we talk about these incredible programs and innovations that are happening in the world of education frequently on the program. But we don't always get the opportunity to talk with, you know, teachers and faculty that were founders of innovative programs and then students who've gone through not just the program, but then the sort of the next phase of life. So I'm super excited about this conversation because it's a little twist on the way Way that we typically get to sort of share so sam for our listeners who don't know give us the sort of seventy-five thousand foot overview if you will of the national inventors hall of fame school so so why this thing
0: so um one of the things i'm really proud of in terms of district leadership is that the white paper for that for that school was written in 2004 we brought in a, they brought in a project manager, Marion Walwick, in, I think, 2007. And her sole job was to um, develop what this amazing space could look like. We were fortunate enough at that time that uh, we had major partners in, involved on the ground floor as founding partners, you know, founders, the city of Akron, Akron Public Schools, Greater Akron Chamber, the uh, University of Akron, Akron Tomorrow, we're all, and of course, our naming partner, the National Inventors Hall of Fame, we're all uh, kind of aligned in this vision to create an opportunity for workforce development that was unlike anything that anybody had seen, and at least regionally. So that was kind of the, the big deal. And in 2009, We opened uh, off-site because the building wasn't quite done. And then in 2010, we moved into the amazing space that we call home still today. It used to be the the National Inventors Hall of Fame Museum, which was called Inventure Place. So that was kind of how that all started. I happened to be fortunate enough to work with PASS at that time, Um, Dr. Smith, Shelly Smith. I remember traveling with her and, and Coach Buckner, our instructional leader, and Coach Hall. To, uh, they, she took us to Denver to see DSST. We went to Philadelphia to see Microsoft School of the Future. And it was really kind of just the whole envisioning piece, right? Like, what could this really look like and be? And the, and the notion that we were a platform school, which kind of reaches into the DNA of STEM practice just because we were given permission to try and 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 do new things in terms of uh, instructional pedagogy and it's again you fast forward to to now and and you've got to believe that something worked
1: (laughs) oh something definitely worked there's there's no question right you know um both both Cameron and Mar are glowing examples uh, of that. Uh, And we see that um, the amazing journey that can happen when communities and districts, right, are brave enough, and I say that very deliberately, brave enough to say, let's try a thing. We don't know what it's going to look like. You know, we're going to bring these amazing people in. We're going to put lots of partners and thinkers around it, and then let's just see what happens. And I think that's part of the magic, you know, um, of the way these sort of innovative uh, school transformation projects projects often work. But, you know, as you indicated, sort of the the proof is in sort of those long-term outcomes. So I'm really curious. Um, Always one of the questions I like to ask, especially when I get students or former students um, on the program. So Mar, why why way back when, this great unknown, uh, why would you choose that as the place to go in middle school? Why why did you choose to go there as opposed to all the other possibilities in your community?
3: I actually didn't know about STEM myself, but my um, fourth grade elementary um, teacher, she recommended me, like she asked me first, like what I wanted to do. And she recommended me to apply to the STEM school. And I had no idea what it was because I was like, oh, where is STEM? Like, I don't know where that is. And my mom doesn't know anything. So I had to like explain to my mom, like what the school was and like how it was like different and not in like the same local areas that I would be going, like going to middle school. And I think my first day there, I was very nervous, but also I knew that I had a different opportunity than other students in my district. And I was really grateful for it because I saw that the things I learned at STEM were like much more advanced and helpful to me now mm-hmm. than what my other peers had learned in other schools.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and just for the sake of our listeners, so this was this was a, a pretty complex journey from you. Um, your family immigrated to the U.S., so there was a lot that you had to explain. Sam was telling us that upon your high school graduation, what what was what did your mortarboard say? Tell everybody.
3: Um, my college graduation cap my mom crossed the world so I could cross the stage, and I wanted to give her my degree, like for her, because she sacrificed so much for my brother and I to be here today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that just ah, oh, wow, pretty amazing. So you had to explain to your family, and then you went to the National Inventors Hall of Fame School and have been, you know, it's been part of your lived journey and your education ever since. Cameron, same question to you. Why Why did you choose that?
2: Um, Just from a small age, uh, you know, the typical story of engineers, they're usually like tinkering with things. They love math and science. So when my parents and I saw this opportunity, it was kind of like a, you know what, we should go for it type thing. And That first day at the middle school, you saw all the yellow buses lined up because everyone from everywhere, which was a great experience, it was like a mixing pot of the entire city of Akron and surrounding areas. And it was just that feeling that you kind of knew that that was home and you went ahead from the high school from there. Just proud to say that I was able to do that.
0: And and there's a little bit of a caveat there, too, in that I I heard Mar referred the term apply. And the the reality of of that is that what she meant was open enroll, because there is no application process. It's a a lottery school. And so the fact that, you know, all the stars align for them to, you know, be drawn out of a hat to attend, just makes it even remarkable to me.
1: Yeah, and you must have read my mind because that's exactly where I was going to go. I was like, so Sam, help everybody understand, right, you know, how that actually works. Because that's actually one of the tenant's uh, requirements, right, in the state of Ohio, is that the state invested in the standing originally, As it's changed over time, but let's sort of set the stage for folks, to originally invest in 10 platform demonstration schools around the state um, in STEM. And Akron was selected to be one of those. And every single one of those uh, original Tim platform schools, they were required to be this open enrollment opportunity through, throughout the, the state for students to be able to attend. So I'm super curious, Sam, in those first couple of years. That was the first iteration because it's very, very different. And so Mar and Cameron, please correct me if I'm wrong. So you were in the founding class of students the first year? No. No, we were class number three. Class number three. Okay, well then hold that thought for the two of you. But Sam, I'm going to circle back around because this is super important, right? Because one of the things that we know when we do these innovative school programs and projects, and I've talked to them from you know, all around the country and around the world, there's there's this magic that happens when you deal with sort of the founding ethos, and you're you're part of the founding faculty of that school. So between the first year and the third year, when Mar and Cameron show up, things change. They they always do. It, it it's 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 for it's for the better. It's just part of the natural evolution. And I'm super curious about how you think about the experience that they stepped. Into and then ultimately graduated from.
0: Um, that's that's a great question, and and here's why. Because my my founding year, I wasn't sure that I wasn't hurting children. <laughs> 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 I wasn't sure that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> so I, in in that regard, I'm kind of glad they came in year three because by then I kind of got my my feet under me. But because and I, and I say that to point out that. I had to transform my practice. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I had mm-hmm. been an educator in the APS for 12 years. Um, and by instinct, doing some of the kind of same things that, that I've learned how to do well formally. But there there has to come a point where, and, and I talk about this all the time in training, is that at some point, we have to stop teaching the way we were taught. right? And, and, right. and that notion is look pretty unnerving mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know it's you're giving up this locus of control of, of what you thought was right and 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 turning over a classroom to more uh inquiry based learning mm-hmm. and kind of giving the power of learning back to your kids is it's not it's not necessarily instinctual for a lot of folks mm-hmm. so um i think it, over those first three years that was kind of my you know i i i laugh because I, I don't know if you knew Sarah Cobley, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: Sarah, um, was my mentor for a couple of years. Um, those first couple of years and her, her biggest job, when she came come in, she come in every couple of weeks and, and just observe and hang out. And, and her, one of her biggest jobs ultimately ended up being Sam, stop telling them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't provide
1: the answer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So th- that's the whole point, Sam. They're, they're trying to figure it out on their own. So just give them the space and, and the tools to do that.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I remember some of those early conversations that, you know, I had with you as well. And I remember when you came into the soil program, um, you know, and all those. and And, you know, all of those are sort of that work in, in, in progress. And so, but but that work then translates to the experience of the students, right? So Cameron, I'm super curious, you know, as, as you sort of think back to those middle school and then ultimately moving into Inventors Hall of Fame high school as well, you know, All of these schools that we mentioned before, these platforms, these are what we like to think of as sort of applied STEM environments. They're inquiry, they're problem-based, lots of different labels people use. It doesn't really matter which which label you want to put on it, but the reality of it, it's very hands-on, it's very problem-oriented, and it's very um, student-driven. There's a lot of agency on the part of the participants which is as scary for you as it is for Sam to teach that way, right? So talk to us a little bit about some of the experiences that you had in that school environment that you think were meaningful to you and the outcomes, the journey that you've been on later.
2: Well, I always say life is all about relationships that you create. And so this is the perfect podcast to chat about this with <laughs> Mar and I. We were actually uh, sixth grade and seventh grade science fair partners. And Coach Cruz was our, like, mentor in this entire process. Um, And we've been friends since then. So, you know, you start rearing up for science there and you see everybody with their boards getting ready and you're wondering what kind of project you're going to do this year. And last year was kind of a test trial because you were in fifth grade trying to figure out the scientific process and how to do everything. Um, sixth grade, you're like, okay, this is the big leagues now. Um, How can we do better? And at this point in time, you could still go to like state science fair when you were in sixth grade. So it got really intense at the STEM school. It was like our Olympics. (laughs) So we just kind of went through everything and we go, what if you guys work together? And I think it was maybe a coach Cruz comment also. So we ended up creating something that went on to the Best Medicine Science Fair and the District and Region Science Fair, where we tackled a project that deals with Perthes disease, which is a disease where one leg is shorter than the other in people. So us as sixth graders, we're going through the scientific process on how you can break this down and what ideas we have, what are the other questions that need to be asked. What kind of design can we have? How can we test this? Um, How do we have a prototype? And so on from there. So working together, all collaborative as a group, myself, Mar, Coach Cruz, getting some other mentorship in there, Um, Coach Hall, our librarian at the time. So it was just a lot of collaboration at the school. And that's just one of the really minute little experiences that we had there. I can name countless other mm-hmm. things from the high school and on. So. Yeah, and and and
1: I can't tell you I've I've talked to a lot a lot of kids or participants in these programs, and they mention that opportunity to be collaborative is something that I mean, you you'd ultimately take it for granted having been in that school for that many years. But that is not necessarily what everybody's experience in middle and high school is, right? Mm -hmm. So Mar, you know, build, build on what Cameron was talking about and how does how do you translate, right, the experience, you know, in sort of fifth and sixth and seventh grade science fair in a school like the National Inventors Hall of Fame into the way you approach solving bigger problems as you move into high school and you start to do internships and capstone? Because I know that you ladies did those things, too. So, so how, do you, how do you take that, that sort of initial experience and then, quite frankly, scale it to your benefit?
3: I would I always said that Cameron was she changed my life and made a difference in my life ever since we're in middle school because of what we went through together um in middle school and high school and I think we both inspire each other to grow more and like to challenge ourselves and any opportunities we have and um I know that high school is pretty different because not like middle school like We had more opportunities to be free and do what we want. And a lot of it came like in our senior year, we had to do a capstone project. And based on which teacher you had, it was different. And we had freedom to choose like who we wanted to work with in the community and what we wanted to do. So I think that made a big difference because we had to take charge and leadership into contacting community partners to see like how we wanted to do something in the community to make a difference and i think that really helps with our call like my college experience because that encouraged me to take a bigger step in the things i wanted to do in college
2: yeah and i'll even tag in on that a little bit too um at the end of middle school, we were able to both speak at the National Inventors Hall of Fame ceremony in Washington, D.C. So that was an example to like expand our horizons while also digging into the STEM atmosphere. And then at the high school, I was also afforded an opportunity to go ahead and intern with the national parks. And that was absolutely amazing. And I tied it into my senior capstone that Mar just referenced. So there were so many endless opportunities for us there.
1: Yeah. And what I love is that you were able to connect those opportunities, right? And I think that gets to the heart in many ways, right, of... Schools like what, like the National Inventors Hall of Fame, right? This whole sort of ecosystem or collection of schools across the country and around the world that have sort of shifted their focus to to really sort of, you know, amplify student agency and the opportunity, because otherwise you you wouldn't know how to a to take advantage of them when they come your way, right? And I'm guessing that both of you don't hesitate at all. Something really great, you think two seconds about it, you know, how can I use this? What will it mean for me? Will I make a difference in the world? world, right? And that, you know, if all the appropriate boxes for you as individuals sort of get checked, that you you don't even hesitate about grabbing opportunities when they're the right ones and meaningful for you from that experience. But I can tell you that lots of students and young adults or young professionals, you know, um, post-post-secondary still struggle with how to take opportunities that just sort of find their way, you know, sort of into your, your ecosystem and do something with them. So, that I think that was probably one of those great benefits that you, you, you were able to get from that experience. Sam, you know, I also want to recognize the fact that as our listeners, you know, hear the stories, oftentimes... Um, teachers find themselves in communities that are not engaged in building out these types of opportunities for their students. And yet, we know that all around the world there are incredible educators doing amazing things with the resources and the opportunities that they have. But your role has changed since um, being a founding faculty member um, way back when and, you know, journeying with these two amazing young women. Into one that, that's sort of bigger in the sense that um, you're doing a lot of, of heavy lifting sort of at the district level overall, but also you are directing the hub, uh, which was a structure that was created in Ohio to try to figure out how do we take those 10 platforms and scale them? How do you take this experience and put it into mainstream? So can you talk just a little bit about that piece of the work because at the end of the day that's what everybody wants to know. This is awesome for Mar and Cameron, but what about everybody else? How do you address that? How do we address that?
0: So I think there's there's lots of ways to look at that and 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 trying and, and trying to tackle it. One of the things that I left left classroom in 2016 to manage the Akron Hub of the Ohio STEM learning network and through that work, one of the one of one of the ways that we do that is through the training center. We train extensively throughout Northeast Ohio in problem-based learning, in other inquiry uh, learning strategies, and digital literacy. Um, all those kinds of things, because digital literacy was was a big deal. Because if you if you think back to two thousand and nine, we were giving fifth graders laptops to take home, and in two thousand nine. That was weird. So, so uh, coach Hall and, and coach Hogarth authored uh, a, a required course um, for both a semester course for both fifth and sixth graders called digital literacy, which kind of the way I kind of sum it up uh, that course is, is it, it creates a transition from toy to tool um, it, it's this opportunity to learn basic keyboarding, but, as you're doing that, you're also learning how to do actual research as opposed to Googling stuff. <laughs> you know, cyber safety and, and evaluation of vetted materials and all of those things that are required to do really good inquiry learning, right? It's the subset of that bigger piece of PBL or whatever you want to call it. You know, those, those four tenets of inquiry where there's a big question or a problem. That there's an investigation followed by some sort of presentation of discovered learning and then followed by reflection but always in the heart of that is that investigation period and if you don't know how to do that piece well it's going to reflect on your solution making it's going to re- re- reflect on you know how much you're actually learned in the process so i think that's kind of a big piece so so training folks is is one way to kind of to broadcast you know that messaging. Ohio, because there's actual legislation around designation of STEM schools and and the current trending now of of really making sure that 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 means something very at the core. You know, it's not changing, it's it's getting better. But it's also one of those opportunities for us to really reflect on best practice. And and that's the other thing that I would share in terms of, of getting better and, and for all of us uh, statewide, nationwide, worldwide, really, I will tell people constantly that I, I feel like oftentimes the very best thing you can do is go visit someone who is doing something really well. So if that means, you know, loading up your teachers and going to a school that is doing things differently than you, then you should do that. Um, I know we spent a lot of time doing that as, and and it's and it's amazing because you come away from those visits um, feeling one of two ways: <laughs> you're either very proud of the work that you're doing, or you're going, "Oh, this is something that we haven't we haven't addressed, and and we or or we haven't done it really well yet." And and so I think providing and culture is such a big piece of STEM. And, and if you've got a great instructional leader like we have been fortunate to have with coach buckner and, and uh, coach morgan who, who have consistently created this culture of next and yet right we we all know that we're never going to get to be the perfect school and and that's one of the things that we cherish is is that journey of just getting better so we're not there yet so what's our next right that's that, that kind of whole thing i think just kind of keeping all those pieces in mind and, 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 and sharing stories like modern can is, is is a big deal too, because it demonstrates the power of turning over your classroom and, and letting kids run rampant through your room.
1: Yeah. A (laughs) hundred percent. That's the best, right? Absolutely. So I always like to sort of wrap the program, recognizing that our listeners are sitting there going, wow, this is super cool, but, right? And we always have those, yeah, but. A um, good colleague, Steve Shapiro, uh, he and I did a workshop recently, and we titled it, yeah, but. You know, all those reasons why. So, um, I'm super curious, Mar, if you think about all of those teachers that are out there, right, who are not teaching in a school like the National Inventors Hall of Fame, but who are contemplating grabbing some of the things that they heard today and making it part of of their practice, as Sam sort of uh, suggested. So what what advice would you have for teachers, right, um, who's, who is— willing to endeavor to do something different having been a student in that environment and lived the after effects through your post-secondary experience what would you tell a teacher (laughs) you need a moment (laughs) <laughs> okay, I tell you what, Mar. We'll come back to you. You be thinking about that because I'm going to ask Cameron sort of the opposite. So, as you know, you encounter families um, who who have kids getting ready to go, and they've got to make that choice. What school do I go? Where do I choose? What do I choose next in our community? What advice do you have for kids getting ready to go to the sixth grade or even the ninth grade if they're not coming in in middle school about the reason why you might think about choosing something that is different. It's not what what I know. It might not be the neighborhood school right here. I may have to you know, go over here to take advantage of this opportunity. What would you tell those folks about why they should?
2: I would tell you that I full-heartedly in my heart believe that this is the most well-rounded experience you will ever have in your life. So any doubts that you're having, I guarantee you that STEM can offer them in some type of way. So, for example, just to give you a little personalization on it, um, people who like sports, I played college softball and I went to a STEM school like that. It just comes out of nowhere. Um, a bunch of opportunities, your speaking habits. Um, people don't expect typically people who are math and sciencey to have social skills you will learn them there. You'll grab them in some type of way. We may be a little bit awkward sometimes, but it'll be okay. Um, uh, So your social skills, your social life skills, you'll have friendships that will last a lifetime. Mara and I are still friends to this day. I just saw her about three weeks ago. Um, So all of that combined, whatever those social emotional skills, the athleticism in it, but not only that, um, it doesn't even X out the different left and right brain functions. So um, I was in jazz band for years and years. And at the middle school, they require you to play an instrument or sing in choir. So you learn how to read music. It channels those artistic and creative abilities also. So no matter where you go, even if you don't end up in a STEM field later on, you can carry those skills with you throughout your life and they'll be beneficial at some point, somehow. So that would be my advertisement. <laughs> and what an
1: advertisement that is, Sam, take note. <laughs> I think that, you know, you have your you have your advocate in the community uh, right there a, as a former graduate. So excellent. Thank you. All right, Mar, what are you going to say to those teachers?
3: To trust the process, because I know that, like, it was scary for me to try to try, like, something new. But... Also, the push and the inspiration and motivation that the coaches gave me in school like helped me to get out of my comfort zone and do things that I never thought I would do, such as like going to China or like going to other like competitions or creating my own organization and stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that you said trust the process, right? That's a big thing, and I saw Sam shaking his head when when you made that statement. The big old smile, so that resonates uh, definitely with him. So Sam, let's 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 wrap this and round this up, right? In the sense that I I really am curious from your perspective. The other group of of individuals we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about today, but who I also know, listen to this program, are administrators. They are folks that are out there having to make decisions about the directions that are going to happen in schools. So what do you say to that group that are standing sort of at at the edge, you know, do I move forward and go down this road, or do I, you know, do I turn around and go back to this other thing um, that I might be a little more confident and comfortable in? As you pointed out earlier, this is not necessarily some of it intuitive, and yet the the amazing stories that both Cameron and Mar have shared with us, in my mind, of course, I'm an advocate, right, but but there's no question that this is a direction that is in the best interest Kids, so what's well, and, that, and that conversation?
0: And that's the bottom line. And, yeah. and to me, it's it's the how I look at administrators is at, through their decision making, right? If 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 all decisions are based on what's best for kids, then you're going to make the right decision, right? So the other part when I've seen really strong leaders um, who have been successful in, in some full or even limited transformation of, of their practice of their teachers is that they are there with them. Um, They show up for the trainings, they show up for all the hard stuff, you know, so that they have a very deep understanding of the work Um, to be an instructional leader. You really have to have that foundation and, and be willing to, And it's so funny, Mar. For when we go back to those founding years, that was our mantra: was trust the process because we were all unsure, right? So you have to, you have to get into that space. You have to be willing to. um, I've been doing a lot of work uh, and research um, around Brene Brown and some other things, and and there's this notion of of creative confidence, right? Where you're willing to take risks without worrying about what people think or say, right? Um, Because you've grounded those decisions in what's best for kids. And that's a big part of it. And the other thing that that I would, the biggest light bulb for me in in the last couple years with doing a lot of really heavy reflection and, and research is the notion of, of teachers assuming the identity of lead learner, right? So, as, as opposed to being that expert lecturer, look differently at how a classroom could be managed, right? If you just the notion of becoming a lead learner automatically makes you an ally of your learners as opposed to the opposite of an ally. <laughs> Right. You're you're in the fight with them, not directing the fight, but just supporting the fight and, and facilitating the fight. And 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 that fight being knowledge, right, the, that whatever thing that could be. And, and along the way, and and it's very clear and, and remarkable in this interview with Mar and Cam, all of the other things that come with it like, and that they both alluded to those, those skills that employers need to have. They need for Cameron to stay off her phone while she does her electrical engineering. She they need, we couldn't schedule this for several times because she had to be at work and made a time commitment. You know, Mar has established her own sorority as a freshman at the Ohio State. Those kinds of, of things are not necessarily just a result of book learning and, 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 and understanding Ohio State standards, it, a lot of that has to do with their experience, with their learning coaches, with their peers, and, and the culture that is built around that. Um, and I think that, honestly, if I could sum it up to an administrator, I'd say that would be the place to start, is looking at developing the culture that you want to not only survive, but thrive in your building.
1: Absolutely, you've got to love learning and everybody involved has to love learning, yeah. You know, thank you so much all three of you for um, taking time out of your day to be with us, to share your stories um, and to let us be part of your journey. Um, Mar and Cameron, so looking forward to everything that you are going to accomplish and I have no doubt that it's gonna be absolutely amazing. Um, so thank you, ladies, for joining us today. And Sam, thank you for, for arranging this conversation. Um, We've learned so much from you today.
0: It was our pleasure, my pleasure in particular, to get to hang out with these two.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, thank you for continuing to teach us over the years, even though you're no longer in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching,
1: learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back and lean in to reimagine education.